This is Prairie Miller, and on the show, in the arts news, and this week's Culture Wars episode, what's up with Trump's proposed patriotic education plan for U.S. schools? Should he be reelected? Calling for a 1776 commission to, quote, restore patriotic education in schools and counter that America is a wicked and racist nation. Hmm. Here to address that issue is political analyst and Arts Express contributor Jason Unruh. We are now facing a very critical moment in the history of education. As some of you may be well aware, Trump is pushing through the 1776 initiative that would completely change the U.S. curriculum when it comes to history. Now, the problem with this is that it goes beyond simply propaganda. Propaganda would simply be pushing a particular viewpoint or ideology. This is worse than that. This is lying. The U.S. is literally talking about erasing the history of slavery, native genocide, and all the rest. Literally everything that is the foundation of America, the evil, Yes, genocide is actually evil. Not sure if you're aware of that. All of that will be erased from U.S. history books, which means the next one coming up, the next generation, will have no idea these things even happen. Already, according to polls, 11% of what it was, I think it was Zoomers or Millennials, I can't remember which one it was, believe that somehow the Holocaust was the fault of the Jews. And that upwards of, like, I believe it was almost a quarter of Americans don't believe the Holocaust even happened. And that was somebody else's crime against humanity. Think about how it's bad it's going to be when it's the U.S.'s crimes against humanity that get covered up and erased. Now, that's the real problem that the U.S. is facing right now. I mean, look at everything, you know, the elections are basically a fraud anyway, regardless of who you vote for. Trump is destroying literally everything, even the stock market at this point, his precious stock market. But I mean, now they're literally going at the fundamental basis of humanity, and that's education. Because any significant education is something that a human being has. One of the things that separates us from animals is that we can significantly learn. Yeah, some animals can learn tricks, some animals can, even some primates can learn ideas. But the very thing that makes us human is what is being targeted by these people. And that's exactly where everything is right now. That is what's being assaulted. But what's really significant here, the very basis of America, these crimes against humanity are what's being erased. In the great patriotic fervor, that is the United States and this attempt to rewrite history, the very basis of what is America is what they're trying to erase. Despite their bluster about being real patriots who care about the world, real patriots who well, not care about the world, but care about America, America first, America best, everything about America, they're literally erasing its own history in order to justify that position. Now we could go on forever about settler colonialism which I'm sure most of my audience here is already familiar with. But look at what's happening here. The thing that makes America what it is is the thing that they're trying to erase from history, despite being the great patriots. And that is truly frightening. There are few people or regimes in history that have been so willing to just simply erase the truth, to simply erase things from history as though they've never happened. And this is, and even in modern times, that's even more rare. Yeah, many governments are dishonest, straight up. But how many are willing to erase hundreds of years of history in order to justify their settler colonial project? Well, we could point to Israel. I think that would be equally applicable to them. Again and again, we see what similarities there are between the United States and Israel. And it's also settler colonial project. So think about that. Now, I know many of you already believe that education is a human right. The ability to expand one's mind to be smart enough to understand what's happening around them 
is already a basic human right. Remember, it's not leftists who've denied education to people. That has always been rightists who have done that. The ones that are supposedly for freedom and democracy are the ones who would make people most ill-equipped to be able to handle both of those concepts. But think about what's going on right now and what danger your basic fundamental right of education is in. And know that you have to do something. Reporting from Niagara Falls, Jason Unruh. And now, in our news from strange places, with Halloween in sight in the midst of our current pandemic, what about the history of Halloween and its connection to another pandemic, the bubonic plague, and what it has to do with cats, persecution of designated witches, and, quote, that the rat has killed more people than all the wars in history. Here's a selection about all that from Disney's The Great Cat Family. One of the significant chapters of the domestic cat's history began during the Middle Ages. By this time, he was a common household pet in all the great cities of Europe. A cat sunning himself on the window ledge was just as familiar a sight as a flower pot. But the cat was never a free boarder. He paid well for his keep in terms of service to mankind. His contribution was so great that it actually changed the course of human history. Through the centuries, man's very existence has been continually threatened by a treacherous and deadly enemy, the rat. These destructive and vicious rodents swarmed the cities, devouring vast food supplies and spreading the Black Death, the dread bubonic plague. A disease so deadly that at one time, a single epidemic wiped out one quarter of the population of Europe. Thus, the rat has killed more people than all the wars in history. Man's greatest single weapon against this army of death and destruction was the cat. For he was naturally equipped for hunting in the dark underworld of the rat. On velvet paws, he moves in silence. His sensitive whiskers act as antenna to feel his way through the darkness. The pupils of his eyes expand to take in every particle of light. With lightning-fast reflexes, he strikes swiftly. If the many millions of rats destroyed by cats had been left to multiply, they could have wiped out the population of entire cities and completely overrun civilization. But the cat was not always rewarded for his great service to mankind. There was a black chapter in history when cats were condemned and persecuted. A dark age when the world was haunted by strange fears and superstitions. It was believed that evil spirits traveled the earth in human form, and thousands of innocent people were hanged or burned at the stake for witchcraft or sorcery. They were condemned by the words of the ignorant and the superstitious, idle gossip growing into wild rumors, spreading through towns and villages, twisting and turning into fantastic and monstrous tales. It was commonly believed that storms were caused by people who possessed supernatural powers. And anyone who dared travel by night could be accused of black magic and blamed for any sickness or death in the community. For night was the time of evil spirits. Since the cat was by nature a creature of the night, he too aroused suspicion. Many believed that his silent and mysterious ways were the ways of evil spirits, and that his steady, soul-piercing gaze must be the look of the devil. Beep. 
could feel his black spell creeping over me. And all at once he turned into a terrible demon and came flying at me, screaming like the voice of doom. He's not a cat, he's a devil. Through no fault of his own, the cat, which had once been worshipped as a god, was condemned as a devil and blamed for the evils of the world. Hundreds of witch hunters set out to destroy these witches and demons wearing the form of a cat. There's one up in the tree! Get him! During the reign of terror, hundreds of thousands of cats perished. And for a time, the domestic cat was threatened with extinction. But fortunately, some survived to carry on the species, to resume their place in human society. Listening to Arts Express, recorded at WBAI in New York. I'm your host, Prairie Miller, and next up on the show, an interrogation in reverse of Georgia prosecutor turned TV legal commentator Nancy Grace. Notorious as a far from objective and seemingly relishing the abrasive, Grace has possibly changed her tone lately, anchoring a new show focusing on the scientific advances of forensic evidence in trials, you know, as opposed to the historically racist and working-class bias in traditional court proceedings, which in her case may be a good thing, as Grace's own admission that her rabid pursuit of guilty verdicts is in no small part tinged by her own history as victim when her fiancé decades ago was murdered. Quote, what I realized was that with every band-aid I put on a crime victim's family was really putting a band-aid on me. Kind of like appointing a victim as the courtroom prosecutor. Also up for questioning on this hot seat episode, what would she do based on handling of contentious courtrooms if she were the moderator of that notorious presidential candidate debate? Here's Nancy Grace on science more recently freeing the innocent incarcerated for decades, the Second Amendment, Johnny Cochran, and two boxes of clothes and a curling iron. Hi, Nancy Grace here. Great, okay. Well, thank you for inviting me. It's a real pleasure. Hit me. Okay. What can you say about bloodline detectives, and what drew you to become involved in the series? I love bloodline detectives, and I'll tell you why. I have a deep fascination for modern technology and forensics. I, I have a great story. I can still remember. I've now narrowed it down to the eighth grade in science, and the teacher told us to turn to our book page, whatever. And I remember distinctly seeing in bold letters deoxyribonucleic acid. And in the eighth grade, I remember thinking to myself, wow, you know what, one day I'm going to need to know how to say this. And I said it over and over and over to myself phonetically. Sure enough, one day I did need to know <laughs> in court. Um, I am fascinated with technology as it relates to cutting-edge forensics. And with bloodline detectives, these were cases that had been previously deemed unsolvable often through no fault of cops or detectives they simply ran out of leads and had nowhere else to go enter bloodline detectives now think about it these crime victims had spent a huge chunk of their lives trying to get justice trying to solve the mystery of what happened to their daughter or their son their wife or husband and just think about losing that amount of time in your life trying to get answers. So these cases end up on a shelf gathering dust until modern technology years later comes along that can crack the case. I mean, who wouldn't be drawn to that? And what are some of the subjects coming up on the show in the future? 
Well, we are covering, we are investigating a whole gamut of cases, and we start with the case of Jodine Siren. Uh, it's often been called the Valentine's Day murder. She was murdered around Valentine's, and her case went unsolved for years until bloodline detectives found a way to solve it. Our cases go from the U.S. to the U.K., uh, England specifically, to Canada. We pick cases that deal with or exemplify cutting-edge technology from mitochondrial DNA, familial DNA, such as used in the Golden State Killer case, um, Y-chromosome DNA, um, genotyping, all sorts of modern technology not available at the time of the murder, and then suddenly it breaks and it changes the lives of so many people. And how would you describe the different experience for you in the courtroom? In contrast to pursuing cases on shows and being a lawyer versus a reporter? Oh, wow. I can tell you this. I became a prosecutor after my fiancé was murdered shortly before our wedding. I was in school studying Shakespearean literature, and my goal was to become a professor at university level. When Keith was murdered, my world exploded. I dropped out of school. I didn't know what I was going to do or where I was going to do. I ultimately went back to school not to become a Shakespearean lit professor, but to become a crime fighter. In court, uh, of course, as a felony prosecutor in inner city Atlanta, there was certainly never lacked cases. At that time, it was one of the murder capitals of our country. And taking violent felonies to trial was a very difficult, difficult endeavor. But, you know, at the end, when, for instance, on made-for-TV movies or, or series, you see jubilation and everybody goes to a bar after and celebrates. It was never like that. There was no jubilation or celebration. It was more like, okay, relief. That one, that one bad guy's off the street. For right now, I feel good for this moment. And what I realized was that with every Band-Aid I put on a crime victim's family, it was really putting a Band-Aid on me trying to get past the murder of my fiancé. Now, you know, when, when I left the courtroom, when my boss, who was like a grandfather to me, retired, I didn't know what I was going to do. I did not want to become a defense attorney. I certainly didn't want to be a civil lawyer and do slip and falls and real <laughs> estate transactions. I had been offered a job to launch a program with Johnny Cochran, which I originally turned down. I was in the middle of a serial rape case. And I called him back and went, hey, I'll do it. And I moved to New York with two boxes of clothes, a curling iron, $300. What could go wrong? And launched Cochrane and Grace. Hmm. And what I really loved about that at then Court TV was covering cases gavel to gavel and analyzing what was happening for the public who you know, did not have a legal background explaining what was happening to them. And I really love that. I get the joy, the fulfillment from bloodline detectives when a case is solved and the truth is out. That means a lot to me. Now, the other tragic side of the coin of genetic forensics is the far too many cases of the freeing of innocent incarcerated people for who were there for decades resulting from forensics freeing them some of them there most of their lives what can you say about that that to me is the beauty of science science is on no one's side but the truth it can put the bad guys in jail and it can exonerate the good guys so i would say that's a win-win and you also wrote a book deploring in part, quote, how the media have hijacked our criminal justice system. Please explain. 
Well, I believe that very often the media misportrays what is happening in criminal justice. Um, and I disagree with that. Uh, that book was written mm, maybe 18, 15 years ago. The book that I wrote that just came out last week, which is Don't Be a Victim, deals with many scenarios in which you can protect yourself at a time when so many people feel powerless because of what's going on around us. Um, you don't have to feel that way. It took me two years to research and write, don't be a victim. And I use, I draw upon every case I ever investigated, which were thousands, that I personally took to trial or that I covered. And I glean from them how you can protect yourself and your family, such as when you're out exercising, when you're at the mall, when you're in a parking deck, when you're out driving alone or with your family, when you're traveling, be it abroad, south of the border, domestic, camping, RV, online predators. And for your children, back and forth to school where 30 to 40% of abductions and attempted abductions occur at school, uh, when they're out and about, safe from babysitters, nannies, daycare from hell. So many ways they need to be protected, including online, a predator's new playground, even protecting the elderly. Um, it's a book I'm very proud of, and all my proceeds are going to National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. So I'm very proud of that. And on another note, I wanted to ask you, based on your experience handling contentious courtrooms, what would you have done as the moderator of the wildly out-of-control Trump-Biden debate? Now, I very rarely, well, actually never comment on politics, and this is why. I do not want to see crime victims become political footballs. I don't like that. Um, my vote has never been made public. Um, I'm very conflicted on so many issues. For instance, I believe in the Second Amendment, but I'm anti-gun. So uh, the dichotomy within criminal justice is extreme. As far as debates go, <laughs> I guess I would uh, handle it the same way I did in court when I had a reluctant or boisterous or hostile witness. You are not to be intimidated by either party. Your goal is to seek the truth and make that possible in your platform. You're not there to be Miss Congeniality. You're not going to go home Miss Sweet Potato Queen. That's not going to happen. Know that going into it and then act accordingly. And is there anything else you're involved in or coming up for you now? Well, you know what? My number one job is raising my twins, John, Dave, and Lucy. Um, other than that, Bloodline Detectives has played a very big part of my life. The book that has just come out, Don't Be a Victim, um, it's, take, it's been a two-year project. And our Oxygen series, Injustice with Nancy Grace, is premiering as well. And I'm really proud of that. In both programs, we take cases that need a spotlight and need attention and bring them to the forefront, and I'm super proud of them. And can you say a little about the other show? About Oxygen's yeah. Injustice? Yeah. Injustice is a, we're starting season two, and I'm super proud of it. We take cases, some of them are famous and some no one has ever heard of before, where there has been a glaring miscarriage of justice and we try to do our best to see it set right and one last question any final word why should listeners tune in to bloodline detectives you know i think for the most part the majority of the world people are good they want good they want the right outcome they want justice and in Bloodline Detectives, we see justice denied for so long 
for these crime victims and their families that are hurting and, and left with a big hole in their hearts. And finally, through modern technology, through bloodline detective, they get answers. And that means the world to me. Yeah. Okay, well, thank you so much, Nancy Grace, for calling into our show. Thank you so much for inviting me. <laughs> hey, after you watch Bloodline Detectives a few times, I'd love to join you again and let you, and hear what you have to think. Okay, bye. Thank you. Thank you so much. And Bloodline Detectives is airing on FilmRise TV. And next up on Arts Express, in the radio drama corner, it's later than you think. And where is the supermarket? An Arts Express, Jack Shalom, Halloween Excursion. Reggie Johnson explains. It's later than you think. We caution you. This story is definitely not for the timid soul. So we tell you, calmly and very sincerely if you frighten easily turn off your radio now and now if you haven't already done so turn off your lights now and listen to revolt of the worms it's later than you think Think of facts. Think of facts, how it began. The walls crashing, the thick flesh. Michael Prentice, that's a fact. By a chemist and fool, that's a fact. Fool. We got here Wednesday. Rachel! Mike, I am exhausted. Frankly, I don't understand it. What kind of vacation is this? This makes no sense. We drive for five hours and where do we end up? In the middle of nowhere. And the so-called cottage the agent picked out. It's a joke. I don't even think there's a coffee maker in the house. Rage, it's the country. Breathe that country air. No virus, no masks. Peace and quiet. What good is no masks if there's no one to talk with? No Wi-Fi. If we're going to be isolated because of the virus, I'd rather be isolated in the city where I can at least see people through a window. I can't even get a decent phone signal up here. And where is the supermarket? I would kill for a good cup of coffee. And what are we supposed to do for dinner? Honey, relax. Josh is going to take care of all that. The magic man, he packed the other car with everything, and I do mean everything. He's going to do a reconnaissance mission of the area later on. It's going to be okay. Really, hon, it's going to be a great vacation. We'll garden, and there are a million hiking trails. And I promise you, I'll send out Josh for a grande pumpkin spice latte in the morning for you. That's extra large venti, please. Well, okay. I feel a little bad sending out Josh to do all this stuff. Is he all right with it? I mean, he's supposed to be an intern, not a gopher. And a very well-paid gopher, an intern he is. When I broached the subject, he was thrilled to come out here. After interning for me in the spring, his girlfriend broke up with him. Judy? I don't know her name. <laughs> anyway, as far as he's concerned, he gets free room and board for the summer and a place to work on his senior project. I just feel funny running away from everything. Privileged, I guess. Well, we are privileged, Rach. I'm not going to deny it. Look, for the foreseeable future, we'll live here. Then we'll see. I love it. It's ideal for my work. But what about my work, Michael? <laughs> what about it? You can write here as well as in the city. It's better. It's quieter. You'll be able to concentrate better. Mike, you don't understand at all. I can't make something from nothing. 
Novels don't just spring into a writer's head from nowhere. I need life and energy. We're just so far from everything. So far from what? Your friends? My friends? When was the last time we've even seen them in person? Last time we saw Maddie and Dave was on some Zoom call where no one could figure out how to get the video working. All right, Michael. Whatever you say. Oh, come on, Rach. Don't be like that. I feel like I'm really onto something, and this is where I can try it out. Most important thing this house has is garden space and lots of it. In a few weeks, I can transplant the roses and see if I've got something here or not. I think I do. I think it's something that they're going to pay for. Did I show you the inquiry from Monsanto? Yep, about a billion times. They don't just reach out like that to anyone, Rach. And I might be able to get another company interested as well, which would be super great, a bidding war. But I have to get the work done. I think Josh is going to be really disappointed. <laughs> what was he expecting? A pool, a tennis court, sauna? No, but it's not going to be fun for him here, that's for sure. Fun? He's an intern, Rage. He's not supposed to have fun. He'll be very happy. He's got his own room, hasn't he? Barely. Night. It's really something up here, Professor Prentice. Pretty, I have to say that. It's almost as if we were out of this world. It's not a bad place to get over a breakup, I guess. Up here, it really is almost as if we were out of this world. Wouldn't it be funny if I found love in a place like this? Well, everything's ready. All the equipment is unpacked, and I even set up the greenhouse for you. Oh, you're a stand-up guy, Josh. Yeah, that's what she said. Thursday. That wind. It's crazy. Does it always blow up here like that, Mike? It's kind of weird. <laughs> Might be less weird than the things that are happening back in the city. I suppose so. Don't move. You look beautiful with the wind in your hair. I'm sure. Roses. Why roses? You don't like them? Oh, you know I love them. I just don't get why you would want to mess with them. Mess with them? Rage. If I'm right about this, and I am, my little witch's brew of ingredients will turn on the growth genes, suppress the Krebs response, and they'll grow bigger and faster than they ever have. It would mean months cut off the production cycle. Companies would pay for that. From seed to robust, huge flowering rose in a week? May seem nothing to you, but lots of people would pay for that, Rach. I guess I'm more patient. Isn't there more productive work that you can do? You don't think it's productive? I didn't mean that. I suppose... Please. Please, just... Don't, don't suppose. You know what? I'm not interested in your opinions today. Where's that kid? Josh! Josh! Mike, he's in the house. He's helping me put up the curtains in the bedroom. Y you called me? The phosphates. Have you unpacked them yet? Not quite. I'm still setting up the equipment, but when I'm finished, we'll have a really big batch of the mix. Well, get them ready. Every one of the plants. We work late tonight. Very late. Would you two men like some midnight snacks while you're working? That would be great, Mrs. Prentice. That would be my salvation. Just keep working. The only salvation is to work towards salvation. What's salvation got to do with roses? Don't be cute. Do your work. Rach, leave us alone. Fine. I'll file that under no good deed goes unpunished. Two cc's for each plant. And be careful, don't let any of it touch the stem. I got you. We got plenty here. You're not very happy here, Josh? Why do you say that? Well, must be lonely for you up here and companionship. Well, it's all right. I was going to leave her anyway. Sour grapes. 
Well, maybe. Think he'll find somebody else? Mm, I do all right for myself. So, uh, we need to pour the solution on them every hour on the hour. You miss one feeding of that solution and then you've blown it. We have to start all over again from scratch. I get it. It's kind of exciting. Do you think it'll work on this strain of rose plants, Professor Prentice? How fast and large do you think they'll actually grow? Friday. What do I remember? Josh, can you help me with something? Michael's busy in the shed. I need to move the dresser to the other side of the bedroom. Yes, I'll be there in a minute, Rach. I just need to dump this extra solution from last night outside. We have to mix a fresh batch every day. I'll wait for you. Yes, I remember Friday. And then Friday night. Michael? Rachel, is that you? What are you doing walking out here in the dark? I can barely see a foot in front of me. Oh, it's a lovely night. (laughs) Yeah, right romantic. I just like the night. You should come back into the house. Oh, all right. Oh, Oh, you're crazy walking around in the dark. What's the matter with you? If I hadn't caught you... It It was slippery. Oh, what are you talking about? It's so slippery around here. But what what are you talking about? But it is. Man, you're right. Stand still. Let me turn on my phone. (gasps) Michael! (laughs) Now you you grab me. Worms, can't you see? They're just ordinary earthworms. They're nightcrawlers. I used to use these as bait when I was a kid, when I went fishing. We just walked over a few of them. (laughs) Squish. Hey, you're a city girl, squeamish because you walked on a few worms. You make more noise and more fuss. Saturday. Josh? Josh, could you help me with... Rich. Uh, Mrs. Prentice, uh, I can't right now. Michael needs a new batch of solution, and I gotta haul out this tub of the old solution to the garden and dump it. That was Saturday. And then Saturday night. Josh! 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 Where are you? Oh, you startled me walking up like that. I didn't mean to. But have you seen Josh? He's not in the house. But I told him not to go. I told him only an hour ago he's got to work all night. He knows the plants have to be watered every hour on the hour. He went out. Well, why didn't you stop him? Now I have to chase after him. Josh! Josh! Are you out there? Oh, damn. Come in. Come in. Thunder starting to rain. Shut the door. But the boy... If he hasn't the sense to come in out of the rain, it's just too bad. I've got enough to do worrying about my roses without worrying about him. And don't you go after him. He'll come back here. He'll come back tonight. He probably... He probably just got horny or something. That was Saturday night. And when it was day again, Sunday... Mike, please wake up. You fell asleep on the couch. Mike, please, I need you. Please, get up right away. What's the matter? The boy, he isn't back yet. What? Josh isn't back yet. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Have you looked in his room? I just came from there, Mike. Oh? Where could he have gone to? Why didn't you wake me up? Oh, Michael. So... He spent the night outside. What's the difference? It'll teach him a lesson. Michael! All right, all right. What am I supposed to do? Go wandering through fog like a bloodhound, like a fool? Don't worry. He'll be back. He'll be back. 
that you never did come back, did you, Josh? When the sun came out and that everlasting wind came up and lifted the fog. Mike, Mike, come here. What is it? The boy isn't around. I looked everywhere. Now look what happened back here. Look at the ground. What happened? Who plowed the ground up? Loud. Certainly plowed. Can't you see some crazy dr- Plowed up the ground. During the night? Mike, how could that be? You believe what you see, don't you? It's that kid. Yeah, Josh. Went crazy, found the plow, tore up the ground, ran away. Out of his mind, that's it. The boy's crazy, tearing up the ground. Crazy. But you don't want to believe it. And then that night, that same night, that night Josh had gone crazy, run away. I went back to my work. Sunday night. Mike, can I speak to you, please? Michael, please stop your work and talk to me. I don't like to be interrupted when I'm working. But I'm frightened. Oh, are you, really? Michael, stop it. I'm sorry, okay? Are you out of your mind? Yes, maybe I am. Oh, what did you say? Yes, maybe I am crazy. All right, maybe I am. It's the only way I could have lived with you all these years. What? Enjoy your selfishness. Your unbelievable selfishness. Oh, what? Well, everything's for you. For 15 years, everything for you. Oh, really? Your pleasures, what you think, what you want, everything for you, nothing for anyone else. That's not true. Unlike you, I never jumped into bed. Yes, the scientist, the good husband who never lifts his voice. Mother in heaven, I'd rather be married to a fool with a heart in him than you. Hold on. You haven't got a heart. You never had a heart. It's all about you and no one else. That boy can be dead out there and you don't care. And I can be dead and you don't care as long as you're safe and doing what you want to do. I am going to pretend that this conversation never happened. Okay, Rachel? Will you please go away and leave me and let me get on with my work now? But listen to me. I've been in the back of the house alone, and I've been listening. And I didn't want to come in here, but I had to. Those things I said, I meant them. For years, I'd meant them. All right, that doesn't matter. But I tell you this. Michael, there's something outside the house. Find out what it is. I am so tired of being the bigger person in this marriage. It's always me, Rach. Where are the noises? At the back of the house. The flashlight. Hand it to me. Thank you. You're frightened. You don't have to go with me. I want to know. What? Your boyfriend? So what am I supposed to hear? There's nothing. Hello out there! Hello! Well, what now? Listen! To what? You heard the wind whistling through the cracks in your brain. Just go into the house. Michael, wait! Give me the flashlight. That crazy young ass is playing practical jokes. When I get him, I'm gonna... Ah! Like something moving under... The garden. What is it? I don't know. It's an animal of some sort. Can take me back to the house. No, you're so independent. Go yourself. Give me the flashlight. No, I want to see. The house is back there. Turn around and go back to it. Go ahead. All right. All right. Yes, it is something. It's burrowing. If the moon would come out, I'd see better. I'll see what. Holes. Holes in the ground all over. What are they? Who? A palm crater. But that's impossible. No. Animal burrows. But what animal can make a hole four feet across? What animal? Rachel, where are you? Rachel! 
I can't see Rach. Where are you? Stop. Rach, where are you? Rachel. Rach. I went through the night looking for you. The echo of my voice is still in my ears looking for you. And the moon was under the clouds and I couldn't see you and I couldn't find you. And then I did. You had fallen into one of those craters, one of those holes in the ground. I couldn't see you, but I could hear you. And then the moon, it came out. Oh, the moon, why did it come out? Oh, if it hadn't come out, I would have seen. And my head... Stop it! Stop it! Stop it! Rachel, I can still hear you. I can still see your body down in that hole. As I ran towards you, suddenly I saw that something else was coming towards you. Something that glistened wet in the moonlight. Something long and slimy, the great twisting snake. Yet not a snake, not a snake. It was a worm. A worm. Death. Twenty, no, thirty feet long, crawling in flight to its own in the ground, and it moved toward you, Rachel. It covered you, crushed you. <coughs> You're dead, Rachel. You've been dead. For two days. Why should I tear out of my memory all the horror of how you died? Oh, now poor Josh must have died. Where should I throw the extra solution, Mr. Prentice? Where should I throw the extra solution, Mr. Prentice? Yes, it's very funny, isn't it, Josh? I ran away and I was going to bring back to the world the greatest rose that I brought back. <laughs> the greatest worms. The solution you threw away soaked into the ground. And it's them, hundreds of little worms burrowing under the ground, soaking into their flesh, into their life processes. Until overnight they grew and grew without limit into these terrible horrors. And they're still growing. I can hear them. For the last two days, just squirming around the house and over it. I have seen a sea of flesh, a sea of worms. Yes, I hear you out there, you worms. You were under the ground, and now there's no room underground for you, so you come out of the ground. The world was yours first, so now you're going to take it back again. The world for the worms. You're under the house. You're lifting it. The walls will fall and crush me, and I'll be dead, and I want to be dead. Yes, now I know why this is happening to me. I thought I could run away from the world and what's happening in the world. You worms are fair. I thought I could cross the line. I thought I could push the boundary. <laughs> now I'm very tired. I'm just going to sit here and wait. Wait for them. I know how I'll die. Something behind me. A worm at the window. Head looking in. He's crawling in. And another following. And another. This is him. Billy Worms all around
You've been listening to Revolt of the Worms, adapted and produced by Jack Shalom, starring Mary Murphy as Rachel, Jack Shalom as Michael, Josh Michio as Josh, and Reggie Johnson as the intro announcer. This is Arts Express with host Prairie Miller. No worms were harmed in the making of this program. We wish we could say the same about the humans. And that was Vintage Radio's Weird and Supernatural, performed by Jack Shalom, Mary Murphy, and Josh Michio, with narration by From the Soundboard's Reggie Johnson, heard Tuesdays at midnight Eastern Time at WBAI.org. And that's all we have time for today on Arts Express, Expression in the Arts. And if you'd like to express yourself too, you can write to us at theradiogoddess at gmail.com. Until next time, this is Prairie Miller leaving the station. Wake up all the builders, time to build a new land. I know we could do it if we all lend a hand. Have to do is put it in our minds. Surely things will work out. They do it every time. The world won't get no better if we just let it be. The world won't get no better. We gotta change it just you and me. Change again, change again, do it alone, do it alone.